Wow. Lovely. Thank you very much, everybody, indeed. Thank you. It's great to be here uh, this afternoon. My name is Ola Anamashwan, and I'm a dramaturg here at the National Theatre, and I'm delighted to be here to have a, a pre-show discussion with Vander Jacob Jenkins and Ned Bennett, the people responsible for the show that's happening in this space in the moment, and Octoroon. So let's get talking. That's what I'd like to do. And um, I'd like to start by um, inviting you, Brandon, just to uh, reflect a little bit on the, the show, the play itself, in the respect that obviously the, I know there have been quite a few productions mm -hmm. of this play in various places. And I just thought, I just wanted to know uh, if you'd just like to share with us, what are your thoughts about the play right now in comparison to those other productions and those other times? Uh-huh. Thoughts about the play or the production? Both. Talk about the play. The play, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, I, I've, I've been living with this play for a very long time, <laughs> yeah. which has been sort of uh, crazy making. You know, I think I'm, I'm still fairly early in my career, but it's definitely been, I think I'm coming up on like, I think I wrote this play in 2010. That was when I first kind of wrote the draft of it. Um, and it is sort of amazing to see. I've never had kids, but I imagine there's something analogous in plays because they, you just sort of let them go and they like do what they want to do. And some of them go to college, you know, and some of them, you know, some of them don't quite leave your couch. But, um, and so this is, of course, is the play that's gone around the world and done, you know. Um, and it's been also really interesting to feel it kind of age with the times. You know, I, I wrote it uh, sort of early in the first, those lovely Obama years, you know, um, and it's sort of, and this is before really this, you know, things like Black Lives Matter really became things we could really point to as, as ideas. Um, so it's been interesting to see the world interact with it as we all become like slightly more sophisticated in terms of thinking about some of the themes um, within it. Um, and it's amazing that it's happening here because, um, it's amazing that people forgot this, but the first time it ever was heard out loud was on the Olivier stage, because yeah, I, I there was they were doing London Assurance, I believe, in 2010, um, and randomly like Mark Ravenhill had caught wind of the fact that I was doing this adaptation of an Octoroon. They brought me out to do a platform similar to this one, um, and I only at that point had like three scenes, but we read them out loud in front of like <laughs> like 1,500 people. So there's some, so there's a weird, you know, of course everyone's forgotten that story. I like told Rufus that, he's like, that happened? You know, but there's a kind of fun full circle thing happening with this play that is kind of moving to see, wow. you know, that shape asserted. Yeah. yeah, so it's like it's almost come home. Yeah, a little bit, that's what it sort of feels like. Yes. Yeah, so it's, um, in some ways I like, I picked up the ghost of Ushiko here and I'm dropping him off and yeah. that's sort of fun. Yeah. Great. Good, good. And, and Ned, I just wanted to ask you, um, how did you feel about having the opportunity to restage the play, to bring it, you know, to transfer from Richmond to here? What did that open up for you as well? Um, it opened up so many things because we were trying to, it feels like in the play, Brandon sets, Brandon slash the characters set the creative team's massive challenges. And I don't just mean in here's a script, now try and do it. But in the characters literally tell you, you need to do certain things with this theatre. And so there were lots of things that we never thought would be possible at the Orange Tree, which then became possible. And then it just meant once we came here, we could kind of push those ideas quite a lot further. Um, and also it was interesting having an awareness of the original production and what that did with, with the design. But then had the fact that the Orange Tree is gloriously so small and in the round meant that we had to kind of think very differently about how to do the play. 
And, and as it happens, the architect of the orange tree was the architect of this theater and made particular design choices that I won't talk about, yeah. about the orange tree that became a large part of how the production works. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> It just gets more and more intriguing. Yeah, every day. Yeah. There's cl clues all around us. It's, yeah. it's like there's a certain magic to the play. Mm. They're saying, this is where I belong, mm. or this is how it should be done, and I won't rest until it is. That's, okay. <laughs> that's, that's incurious. Now, um, I'm going to challenge myself, because I'm going to try and say Dion Boussicot. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Dion. Yeah. Yeah, Dion. Yeah, yeah. I knew I'd get it wrong. Um, now, I didn't know anything about Dion, but where does he fit within the U.S. canon? And what, yeah, yeah, he's sort of this shadow figure in it because, um, you know, we don't really have, I mean, we're a new country, so we don't really have, our idea of a dramatic tradition starts in like the 19th, 20th century with Eugene O'Neill, right? And so I was sort of in that moment of my life creatively in this terror about like, well, what, like really trying to deconstruct the idea of American theater, like what is American, what is theater, you know? Um, and, you know, I realized that O'Neill had influences, and those influences included this guy named Busico. And you're taught, you're, if you're taught Busico in the States pedagogically, you're learning him um, as like, you're learning the Octoroon only, because that was the play that he moved here, I'm sorry, still not here, to the States. He moved to the States and wrote, and was this sort of kind of controversial and major hit. So, in some ways, I was attracted to him as like an Ur-American playwright, like this kind of first wave of it because he was in fact an immigrant as we all kind of entertain ourselves and thinking all Americans are yeah. who wrote the, one of the first kind of pieces dealing with American life on its soil and presented it on its soil. Um, but he's, but he's a, like an obscurity mostly. I right, mean, okay. What's funny is like maybe because of this play, this play no. now, people <laughs> actually reading his play again. Yes. But, um, but at the time when I was working on him, everyone was just like, who is this guy? You right. know? Whereas here, I think he's known for things like London Assurance or mm -hmm. like the Colleen Bond or the Sharon. Yeah, Sharon, Sharon. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, good. So that, that gives it a good context. And did you know about Boosie? Not at all. Not no. at all. I hadn't seen any of them. Yeah. Um, Paul Miller, who runs the Orange Tree, did say uh, that they did do Boosicos at the Orange Tree not that long ago. Um, so that all kind of fitted together. And when it first came over here originally in 1859, it was at Drury Lane and then Stratford East, yeah. interestingly. Yeah. yeah. And, and leading on from that, how much preparation did you do for the, for the play once you knew you were going to do the play? Um, and what sort of preparation? And how much preparation did you, in, well, not impose, but try and um, give your cast and your actors? We, first time around, we did quite a lot of research into the history of America. And uh, that took quite a while. Um, and uh, not that long. And quite not that. Um, and were quite thorough with that um, before rehearsals and during rehearsals. And also trying to understand what a Victorian melodrama was and what are the differences. And it was interesting reading these um, strange books on acting that Boussico has written, where one minute he's describing this kind of uh, vulgar. Uh, course acting that's all about gesticulating and creating the tableaus and then the next minute he's talking about things that feel so kind of current in how we speak about acting and about um, it, there was almost a weird overlap with Meisner stuff to an extent mm. um, so it was kind of trying to um, understand the context within which the play was written both yeah. plays are written yeah and, and <coughs> that was the same for the actors as well did you get them 
do yeah, that we kind did, of Yeah, we did some of that. We did some of that work in rehearsals as well, but yeah. was also kind of careful to make sure that we were front-footed with putting it up on its feet and doing right. it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just doing it. Just, yeah. just trying it out yeah. and finding, getting on with it. And Brandon, how much is the play a conversation with Busico or with the, the society that celebrated that play, if it was celebrated, I don't know if it was mm. successful, or, or with, with the times now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's dead. Yeah. So I it's really not, like, the conversation's pretty one-sided if there yeah. is one. Um, <laughs> well, you say you know? that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I was always interested in how, I, I always was very suspicious of the idea of the anything new in the theater or novel, and you know, I believe that. I don't believe things are new. I think things are just remembered, you know? And I felt like I wanted to understand how the present had kind of digested the past. And I think if that's sort of, um, and you know, there are kind of two plays that are companions to this play. One is called Neighbors, one's called Appropriate. And they were all kind of interested in just like the, the kind of, uh, you know, the, just the mechanics of seeing in the theater and how it's already, how it is encoded with certain, um, you know, uh, practices that like degrade or devalue certain bodies, that makes sense. So, and where those things begin is actually the 19th century, which is where these ideas begin. Yeah. So I think that in some ways it's about, it's, I do feel like there's me, something about me wrestling with the past over the theater, like I'm trying to wrestle it away from the, from the past in some ways. So, um, but at the same time, like, you know, a friend of mine says that the pleasure of the play for him was like watching me fall in love with Bustico, which does sort of describe my experience of adapting it because I think I walked in feeling like I knew what, who this, you know, I, I just felt a bit like I understood how to like, this was how to judge this thing. But then as I like kind of fell into the research, I realized like, oh my God, actually he was way more progress, he was more sophisticated and his kind of theories and the philosophy of what theater was, was so, is lost actually. In, in the archive, it's lost in the academic conversation surrounding him because he was actually, he, he had a very specific idea of what theater was and how it related to politics. Um, and that was once I, in, in identity and what identity was, and that really moved me once I, once I figured out, once I figured out what made him tick. Right. You know? So that, could that be described as a, as a happy accident or? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. this really weird day where I don't know why, I, I can't really describe it today, but I, I was working on the plan, I got really fed up and for some reason, you know, I've grown up, I'm very comfortable around books and libraries. I don't know why. Like, since I was a kid, I always, like, went to the library to calm down. Or, like, a bookstore, which is why my house is full of books. And uh, which I'll never read. But uh, I, I remember, like, getting, I remember just, like, I was in New York. I, like, remember getting, I was staying in this, like, unair conditioned place. And I was like, I'm going to go to the library. I went to the Midtown Manhattan Library, which is the really famous one you might see in movies where, like, there's two lions outside. There's always, like, some dramatic scene, like a breakup scene on the steps. But, um, and, but, there, but I remember going in and putting, I just typed in his name. And what came up was one of 22 copies of the one incomplete essay he ever wrote on dramatic composition, which I'd never heard of before, you know? And I remember like being like, I need to read this. And I requested it, and you know, they go, they send someone down to the bowels of the thing, and they bring back these, this like crumbling thing, you know, and I read it. And that was, that was the moment where the whole play came together for me, because he talked a lot about the, the entire purpose of theater was the, was the illusion of suffering. You know, and that idea became my like thesis, the illusion of suffering, like what that, what that is in some way, yeah. That sounds amazing. 
It was great. Yeah, I did feel very like that was a very happy accident. Yeah. It was just because it was so hot, I couldn't be in my room anymore. Okay. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 and spinning off that, uh, the question for you, Ned, and I, which I think Brandon has, has kind of answered already, but um, did, did the place and does the place still surprise you? But certainly as you started to put it on its feet and put this together, what were the kind of things? Oh, yeah, for think? sure. Just not least in terms of where you get pulled into the Busico itself and then when you get taken in and out of it and then how that morphs when it's put in front of an audience, constantly surprising. And, and I think we particularly as a team putting it back together again found that in quite a, quite a profound way once we went back into rehearsals and we put it up on its feet quite quickly and we're like, okay, this, yeah, it's still surprising, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah and still, yeah, yeah and also because for you, obviously, like you say, it's like a child that's gone off to, to university. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, um, but when you see it now, is it, are you still seeing new things or finding new things or, or questioning things in yourself? Thank yeah, you. well, I it's funny. That? We had a moment in rehearsal where there's this one line that every time I've ever heard it, I'm like, why have I not changed that line? You know? Yeah. And I finally, I finally changed it here. You know, but it is, I mean, this play, and this is just a testament to like Buzico's depth in terms of his understanding of the, the, the dramatic machine. But it's like, you know, I, it, it, you can really get, it's like a forest. You know, it's a really dense forest if you really spend a lot of time with it. And there's, I remember like the 24,000th time I read it, like catching these interesting things he was doing with language and that it was, you know, there's, you know, in the original, uh, Zoe is, she tries to get bit by a snake. There's this, spoiler alert, but, you know, there's this kind of idea of poison in her life. But I realized that all throughout the play, he's, threading in these ideas of poison and snakes in every one of her lines. Like there's this, you know, he was creating these kind of pocket, these moments of language association. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like music, you know, that's what Mel, it was a, it's that thing where it's like, he really understood the right and playwright, right? That he's constructing a thing and yeah. it's like music, it's like constructing music. Reading music is not the same as hearing it played, but once you hear it played, you're like, oh, there's a million ideas happening here, yeah. So I do, I mean, I'm very humbled by him still when I, when I see the, pieces of him that still exist, exist in this version of it, definitely, uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. And, um, and how, how has it influenced your writing since yeah. then? I think, yeah, I think, I, I think this, this gave me like a deeper uh, like respect for um, like emotion or something, or emotionality. You know, that became a real obsession of mine and, and, the, and the people are sort of still in the plays that kind of came after um, because it really is about, it's about, you know, it's like playing the one-man band of a human being's interiority, you know, and the, and the more colors, the more emotional colors you can bring to an experience, the more just satisfying it is, you know, so. And it also taught me to not shy away from big things, you know. I think there was a real trend, there's still a real trend in the States of like trying to write these little chamber pieces, these 90 minute chamber pieces, you know, that are great when they work, but, you know, it's, to go big, you, I mean, it's amazing what you can get with scale. You know, you just can't, you just, it's not a matter of budgeting, it's a matter of a canvas, you know, and that's what, that's what I think Bustico really, inspired in me. And, yeah. and, get, and were you intimidated by the scale? Of, you know, when you decided you were going to do yeah, a, a, yeah. Yeah, an adaptation of this, knowing how big it is? I, I mean, literally did. Well, no. I mean I, I, I mean, I think I was kind of a dummy when I started. I, you know, in, in some ways, this is like a very, this is a young man's play in terms of, I mean, I'm still young, but like, you know, I wrote it. I didn't, 
know, I didn't really know what scale was either. You know, I just, I really wanted to just, honestly, my original thing is I just wanted to see the play. I've been obsessed with the Octoroon for so long. I was like, I just want to see this play, and the only I'm going to see it is if someone lets me just put it, like, lets me adapt it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I actually went in there not afraid of anything. And I, you know, one of the first things I did is I typed out the entire play, and I deleted everything that bored me. You know what I mean? Uh, which was a great way to start, actually. Because then you're like, oh, the thing I deleted, actually, I needed it because of this. You know, it sort of yeah. taught me a lot about structure by doing that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was never intimidated by it because I just was, you know, I was like, it was an old thing. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. And also, it's, it's, it's public domain, so I could do whatever I want. Like, I always yeah. felt that freedom, which was really key, too. Yeah. Um, and now it, it actually made, I'm not afraid of really adapting anything. It's just a matter of, so if people are mostly afraid of me adapting <laughs> yeah, things, you yes, know, yes, to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're just saying, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly, what are you going to do to our theater? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm going to set it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. The minimum thing that you'll probably do. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, and, and Ned, what about um, when you first read the play? Well, how did you, you know, how did you come across um, uh, uh, Paul, Paul brought it to me at the Orange Tree. Right. And uh, be, I, I wasn't familiar with Victorian melodramas at all. So it was quite... Uh, um, I, I just found it such an incredible... Uh, I, I, felt like, I felt like it had such range <coughs> in its magnitude of what it was doing as a piece and was incredibly intimidated by that, but also <coughs> uh, felt like that kind of chat, those challenges that it offers were really exciting. And, and I think likewise, in terms of the scale of writing something like that, it does, it, it feels a bit like putting on three plays, um, which, is, which is so satisfying and nourishing. Um, but because I'd only really done contemporary plays before this, it, it felt very different in rehearsals, using heightened language in this way, mm. but really fun and really liberating. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And American. And American, wow. yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> How was that? What, yeah, what? Um, I mean, it, it, I suppose it would just demanded of us lots of research and checking with Brandon quite a lot um, in order to check that what we were doing made sense. Yeah, I have to say it's not very. I don't. I think the argument is that it's not American because you know he's this Anglo-Irish guy, but you know it's like there's yes. a kind of like traversing of him that kind of troubled that idea of nationhood. And I thought yes. that's what really drew me to, to him as too. a writer. Yeah, yeah, I think that the, the play is trying to figure out how to transcend its own confines as a, being American, being black, being whatever, you know, yeah. being melodrama even, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's the real challenge. And had, have, you, um, have you written any other melodramas or, or any intention to? Not on <laughs> yeah, not on purpose. No, uh, actually, you know, it's that thing where I got it. I think I sort of got melodrama out of my system. You've done I mean, that. Well, you know, yeah. but it's, I don't know. I mean, it may resurface, who knows? Yeah. I didn't, I feel like I, I, I for me, it was always a, a, a venture in self-education, you know, and I feel like I learned everything I needed to learn about melodrama. And I think I've, t I've taken the things I've learned elsewhere, but... Um, like I think the, la the next adaptation I did after this was, was Everyman, you know, and that was a morality play, and they needed something to learn about that, you know. There's a kind of, um, but I think that this, the work oddly I think that showed up that I did in Octoroon showed up in my play Gloria. I mean, I could talk you through why, you know, where I think that, where it showed up, but it was, you know, there's something about, I just need to, I just need to learn from the form. I didn't want to like devote myself to the no. form. Do you know what no, I mean? No, no, no. But it didn't make me better at. <laughs> 
TV and film work, but that's a different yeah. conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As it turns yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> so there's something in this going back and getting to the roots of things. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. And has it influenced your practice? Yeah, definitely, because it required... There's, there's so much in the play where th there are se particular <laughs> sections where on the page I was like, I don't know how to do this. Let's go into the room and see how we can do it. And that extended to the design and all that kind of thing. And it's so exciting to be pushed in that way, and particular, particularly in the fact that melodramatic action isn't what we normally see, often see on stage currently in terms of the, the big plot points and the ups and downs that the characters go on. So, yeah, it was a, a big old learning curve. Yeah. So do you love it? Huh? Do you love the play? Do, do I love it? Yeah. The original play? Or the original play. play. Um, yeah. Do I love it? I think so. I think I still weirdly love it, but like I love it the way that like, you know, I, like you love an old crush or something. You know, oh, it's like, yeah. I, don't need to, I don't need to read it again. You know, I yeah. don't need to see it again. And, but I'm like very, when I think about it, I'm, I feel pleasure, you know? Yeah. And, I, and it, I think about that play as a, as a kind of door that I walked through that sort of handed me a lot of my professional life. And I think that's really, you can't help but feel endeared right. to that, you know, to like literature in that way, you know, yeah. so. That's great. Thank you. I think that's a really excellent note to end this uh, conversation on. Thank you very much, Brandon, Jacob, Jenkins, and Ned Bennett. <laughs> and thank you all of you as well. That's great. <laughs>